witness that. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to put everything up here. We'll be in verses 14 through 26. And I want to talk to you for just a moment while you're turning there. James 2, 14 through 26. Uh, how many of you have ever been fired from a job before? Let me see your hands. Well, some of you are proud of it, too. You're like, man, that's me. I've been fired. <laughs> how many again? Let me see. Five. Okay, so the rest of you are good workers. I, I'm, I'm included in that five category. Look, I'm, I'll be 38 in December. Um, I've lost one job in my lifetime from being fired. And, and some of y'all may find this humorous. I was working with my dad. It's true. I know. It's, it's bad. He owned a lawnmower shop in Tucker, Georgia, and I was working for him as a mechanic and was working for 50% labor, uh, which is a pretty good gig in my book, especially when labor is $60 an hour, so you're making 30 bucks an hour at 18 years old. But the problem is, in order to make that kind of money, you got to work. And I didn't quite understand that concept. Um, so, you know, you're talking to a guy that graduated high school with a 193 overall GPA. I wasn't the brightest tool in the shed. And so when I was about 18 or 19 years old, I was working in my dad's lawnmower shop, and he had gone out of town. And you got to think, I was working for him and living at home with him at the same time, and, and that's not a good combination all the time. And nonetheless, he went on vacation with my mother to St. Augustine, Florida, and the phone rang. It was, I guess it was probably a Thursday or something like that. And the telephone rang at the shop, and my brother answered it. It was a family business. And uh, he said, yeah, he's here, hang on. And he handed the phone to me. Now, if y'all have ever had, uh, you know, the cat that ate the canary type look, right? That you, you've heard expressions like that. Now, I'm telling you right now, when your brother answers the phone and your dad's on the other end and your brother knows what's fixing to come down on you, he's got that look, right? That, just that, and he hands the phone to me. And I, I step into the other room and take the call and you know, Daddy's like, are you where I can talk to you? I said, yeah, of course I am. I'm at the shop. Well, I mean, like, are you in private? Well, yeah, give me a second, and I will be. What's going on? Uh, me and your mom are going to be home in two days. When we get home, why don't you have another job waiting on you? Okay. You, you sure about that? Oh, I, I was, yeah, I've been sure for a long time. You need to find another job. I said, yes, sir. We hung up the phone. And, and reality began to sink into me that, that I was going to have to work to make ends meet. Now, at that time, I didn't have a lot of bills to pay. There wasn't a lot to worry about, but I noticed something about my effort that I put in at the lawnmower shop at Thomas Lawnmower in Tucker, Georgia. Number one, I was lazy. Y'all believe that? 18-year-old kid lazy? It's crazy, isn't it? I know it's foreign to some of you, but I was. I was lazy. I was lazy as the day is long. Number two, I had no, no desire to even work. Laziness aside, the desire wasn't in me. I didn't want to work. I, you know, it was just one of those things that it didn't matter to me. As long as I had enough money to take my girlfriend out on a date and to pay for my pickup truck so the bank didn't come take it, I was doing good. You hear what I'm saying? And that doesn't take a whole lot. We're talking two, $300 a week tops is all I needed to make. Now, I had the potential of making thousands a week. I had the potential of putting back a lot of money. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I could kick myself for not doing that because it was just a few short years after that I chose to get married. And when you choose to get married, there's this thing that you need to choose to have as well, and that's called a bank account. And I didn't have much one of those. But anyway, so and that all stems from my laziness and my lack of desire to work. Well, today what I want to talk to you about is having a faith that works. Having a faith 
that works. Having a faith that's not lazy, do we? You th- think about that. In, in our own minds, we have faith and we think to ourselves what our faith looks like, but when it's put out on display, what does it really look like? How does it look to have a faith that works? And James chapter 2, I believe he addresses this issue head on, uh, beginning in verse number 14. I'm going to ask you, if you're physically able, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? We'll be in verses 14 through 26. The Word of God reads as this, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily, bre- of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed, and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Underline that if you can. I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. But do you know, or do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for his righteousness, and he was called the friend of God? You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of your inerrant scripture today, Father God. And I pray that as I attempt to preach, Lord, that your word would be heard loud and clear. Father, if there's anyone within the sound of my voice today that does not know you as Savior, Lord, I pray that they would surrender to that today. Lord, that that would change before they leave here. Father God, we give you this service right now. Lord, I give you myself. I offer myself up to you, Father God. Lord, that you would use me in a way that is miraculous and wonderful. Father, and the outcome will be all yours. Father, we thank you in advance for the work that you're doing. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A faith that works. Man, isn't that something that's so foreign to us a lot of times? Well, we think about our faith and we think about what it means to do good things and we, you know, good works and yada, yada, yada. Well, you can go down the list and, and ultimately the truth is when it's put into a practical application, it might as well be foreign to us. It's something that we don't know how to comprehend. We don't understand. You know, we read this passage of Scripture, this text that we're in this this morning, and and it is probably the misquoted passage of Scripture in the New Testament, in my opinion. Because what it does is it points to an issue called legalism, and we'll get further into that as as I go. Uh, But the legalists will take this passage of Scripture to defend their stance on our faith and and how we should live our lives. And and I'm kind of in the middle, okay? I'm just going to get that out there. I'm kind of in the middle. Uh, I'm not extreme grace. I'm not extreme legalism. I'm somewhere in the middle, and I'll kind of try to wrap that up and explain it in a nice little package for you as we go on. But in order for us to understand what James is saying here within the text, I think we need to understand the context in which the text was written. Okay, 
If you want to understand the context of the book of James, I think first you must go to the book of Acts, chapter 6 and 7. There's this fellow by the name of Stephen. Y'all ever heard of him? He was the first martyr. He was drug out into the street and stoned. I know young people. He was stoned. (laughs) No, he was stoned. Let me explain to you what stoning looked like back in those days. Uh, He was drug out into the street because he was considered to speak blasphemies against God. And and they did not understand. And the reason why is because he was proclaiming the truth that we know today, which is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So they brought him out into the street, uh, the man Stephen, full of faith, and they they found him guilty in the court of law or whatever. and, And they brought him out. And Everybody picked up rocks, and they decided that they were going to throw them at Stephen until he passed away. It's not so funny anymore. So they take their rocks, and they're humming them at him. And they just keep hitting him, and they're doing this in anger. And man, the only thing that they want to see is the blood of man spilt. They were vengeful people at this time. So this happens, and Stephen expires. His his time's over. And if you'll recall in chapter 7, just before he died, he says, I see it, I see it, I see the Son of God sitting at the right hand of the Father. They thought he was hallucinating. He wasn't hallucinating. He was seeing truth. And he died. Well, he died, and after he died, you had these disciples, and they didn't know what to do. So they did what every rational human being would do, and they took off running, and they hid. They hid in caves. They hid in valleys. They were scared to death. When you go through the mountains of, of, uh, in, in Israel, and you go through the mountains of Judea, what you see is you'll be going along, and all of a sudden there's a cave. Just out in the middle of nowhere, there's a cave, and it's... It could be a big cave, and some of them have waterfalls coming through them. But they're places of refuge, and that's where these disciples would have been. They would have just been hiding out in this desert wilderness, mountainous desert wilderness, in a cave, trying to figure out what their next move's going to make. So you have James who, oh man, James, who, who was James? He's writing to these people that are spread, of, spread abroad. They're scared to death. But, but we've got to ask who he is as well. Now, James was the brother of Jesus. Now, you can imagine what an undertaking that would be. Now, y'all know what civil, civil rivalry is? Well, uh, sibling rivalry, that's it. Civil rivalry, I can't even talk right now. But the rivalry between brothers, and, and I, I've got two brothers of my own, and I know what it's like to grow up in a house and, and to see one of them succeed at something, and that becomes very difficult for you because all of a sudden that just raises the bar for what you have to do in your own mind, right? And, and so if one of them does real good in a sport, then you feel like you've got to do real good in, the, in a sport as well. And, and, and everything is a competition among you. Could you imagine being the brother? of Jesus though think about that for a moment it's one thing to have your parents come in and say why can't you be more like and you fill in the name with whatever your brother's name is mine's Blake I'll I'll use Blake as an example why can't you be more like Blake or why can't you be more like Scott those are my two brothers or Julie my sister why can't you be more like them why why you know they did this and they did that now my parents have never said that to me so let me get that out there first and foremost but but you, you get the picture. Imagine walking in and your mom looking at you and going, Now, wait a second. Why can't you be more like Jesus? Would that not be difficult to handle? In everything that you do, He's better than you. He's the Son of God. And it'd be a tough life to live underneath that shadow. That's an awful big shadow to live under. 
James didn't believe in Jesus at first. You do realize that. In Christ's life on this earth, James did not believe him to be the Son of God. He saw the miracles. He saw the things that were happening in and around him, but he did not believe that he was the Son of God. It wasn't until after the resurrection that James became a believer in Christ. So that's who's writing this letter. And he's writing it to the people that are spread abroad. And the first thing that he tells them in chapter, or verse number one, chapter, or chapter number one, verse number two, is to count it joy when you fall into various trials. Hang on a second, James. Have you paid attention to who you're writing to for a minute? You're writing to people that are hiding in caves because they just watched their friend get beat to death with rocks, and you're telling them to count it joy when they fall into trials? Really? James must have been a crazy man. If you're ever going through a trial, let me just get this out there. If there's something going on in your life, I challenge you, read James chapter 1. Allow God to bless you through the words that James penned. I'm telling you it'll be a blessing to you. Count it all joy when you face various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience be complete and perfect, lacking nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. On and on and on. We think about James chapter 1, but then we end up at James chapter 2. See, James makes this hard transition from talking about what it means to have joy in Christ and to what our faith should look like. And he addresses this head on, and in addressing this, he makes a few obvious statements. And the first one is that faith alone is dead. Faith alone is dead. Think about that statement for a moment. How does that look in your own life? How does that look for us? You say, wait a second, preacher, don't tell me faith alone is dead because I know what the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says. And it says that we're saved by faith, right, through grace. We start paying attention and we say, but, but wait a second, don't tell me that because I know what the book of Romans says. Yeah, I know what the book of Romans says too. Romans chapter 6 verse 1 is very evident as well. And this is another writing of Paul where he says, should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And he answers the question with a very stern answer, certainly not. So we should be a moral people. Last night I was laying in bed. Go figure. Isn't that a crazy place to be at nighttime? But I was, and I, and I did what most Americans do, and I had my phone out, and I had it plugged in and was looking through YouTube, and I, I ran across this thing that Steve Harvey had done, and I'm not a huge Steve Harvey fan, but the man's pretty funny. And, and just saying. And so I'm, I'm watching this video of him, and he's being, uh, he's being interviewed by Joy Behar. And she's asking him about atheists, about atheism. And he said, I don't even know what an atheist is. And she said, well, an atheist believes that there's not a deity. There's not anything bigger than us. And he goes, and that's just dumb. He said, I know that's not the politically correct thing to say, but it's the truth. He said, if you think, you know, and he started going into this theory of evolution. And he said, here's the thing. If we were created as monkeys and we evolved into what we are, then why we still got monkeys? 
He said, it makes no logical sense, and, and the man was right. But one of the things that was talked about in that was he, was he was talking about faith and what it takes to follow God and how we as believers display our faith. And he said, girls, if you're dating a guy and he tells you he does not believe in God, then you need to run. I'll repeat what he said. If you're dating a guy and he tells you he doesn't believe in God, you need to get out. That goes the opposite way, too. Guys, if you're dating a girl and she tells you, I don't believe in God, hit the door. Because I want to tell you something, and I know there's a lot of students in here this morning, so I'm going to address this for just a moment, then I'll get off my high horse and we'll move on with the, with the uh, sermon. I know in your mind you think you can change someone. I know in your mind that you feel like you're doing a good deed if you date someone who does not believe the same way you do. I'm telling you from experience that you are not doing a good deed by doing that. If anything, you're going against what the Word of God tells us when it tells us not to be unequally yoked. And you're putting yourself in harm's way by dating someone who does not believe in the same God that you do. Okay? When we have our faith and we understand that faith alone is, is dead, then we recognize that that does not go against what Paul was talking about throughout the book of Ephesians, throughout Galatians, throughout the Corinthians, throughout Romans. The, the things that Paul was talking about was saying, look, we are saved by grace, and there is no doubt in that. What James is saying here is not that we're saved by works. He's saying that our works evidences our faith, and we'll get to that in the next point. But he's telling us that faith alone, if all we have is faith, if all we have is our profession of faith in Jesus Christ, then we are lost as a goose in a snowstorm. We are dying and we are going to hell, and there is no way around that. You say, wait a second, preacher, that my profession in Christ is all that I have. Listen to me. If your profession in Christ is all you have, then you have nothing. The Word of God tells us even the demons know who He is, and they tremble at the sound of His name. Your faith has to be deeper rooted than just me saying that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It has to be deeper rooted than just me saying, hey, I've been baptized. It has to be deeper rooted than me saying, hey, I said a prayer sometime 15 years ago on my front porch when Daddy told me to pray after me. Your faith in Christ has to be grounded upon the things that He's done for you in, his life, in your life. It has to be grounded upon the way that He can use you to further His kingdom. has to be grounded upon the Word of God. Verse 14, What does it profit, my brethren? If someone he says he has faith, but he does not have works, can faith save him? The question, can faith save him? Can faith alone save someone? I think I just answered that question. The answer is no. No, the faith does not save them in and of itself, nor do works. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Listen, this is what he's saying. That person that came to you last year and they said, Hey, I can't pay for my child's school supplies. 
Or the person that came to you last year and they said, hey, I can't put food on the table. The person that came to you and said, the only thing I can afford to eat is peanut butter and jelly. The person that came to you when it was 20 degrees outside and they said, I have no coat to put on my back. And you said, I don't have the money to do that, but I can pray for you. And you prayed for them and that was it. That was all you did. You just prayed for them and you sent them on their way. Essentially, you did the exact same thing that James is talking about here. You get that, right? I'm going to call my wife out because she's not in here. I was going to do this last service, but she was sitting on the front row, and Lord knows I don't want to embarrass her. About two years ago in the wintertime, my wife used to have this pea coat that she wore all the time as her favorite coat. Wore it all the time. Wintertime hit, she had her pea coat on. We're sitting at church. A woman comes in off the streets. She said, I'm cold. I don't have a coat. My wife did the most selfless thing I've ever seen someone do. She took the coat off of her back, and she said, here, take mine. And the woman said, ma'am, I'll bring it back to you. My wife said, don't worry about it. I'll buy another one. We didn't have the money to buy another one at that time. I need you all to know that. So I don't know where she thought we was going to buy another one from because we still have yet to replace that coat. But my wife took the coat off of her back and left her with a dress on that had sleeves to about right here, and that was it. That was below freezing that day. The woman put the coat on, and I've never seen a person smile quite as greatly as she did. She left from there being clothed. She left from there warm. She left from there with her needs met. What are we doing to meet the needs of others? You say, well, we have a clothes closet. Yes, we do. We have a food pantry. Yes, we do. My question is, is it ever enough? Is it ever enough? Are we ever doing everything that we can? The answer to that is no, it's not. We're always falling short because none of us are perfect. The Word of God tells us that. Well, then why should we try? That doesn't mean that we stop. It means that we try that much harder. Faith alone is dead. When you send the person off and you say, I'll pray for you, you have done nothing for them. I'll be honest with you, what you've probably done is turned them further away from God than they already were. Because they sat there and they said, well, this person prayed for me, but where's God bringing my clothes from? Where's this food coming from? Where's... You see what I'm saying? Our faith must be more than just faith. The second thing that we'll notice is that faith makes works possible. Faith makes works possible possible. Now you say, preacher, what do you mean by that? Well, the Word of God tells us regarding our works that even our best works are as filthy rags in the eyes of God. If the best that I can do is filthy rags in the eyes of God, then I'd hate to see what would happen if I'd actually let Him work through me. Because there's been some things in my life, and I'm not beating my chest when I say this. I'm not trying to be prideful when I say this. Every single one of us has this. There are things that we have done in our lives that we're extremely proud of. There's things that we have done in our lives that we feel like we have accomplished something by doing. And if those things that I am just I am so proud of myself for, if those little things in my life are as filthy rags in the eyes of God, then imagine what God could do through me if I would simply surrender to Him and say, God, use me in the way that you'd have me to be used. You think about that for a moment. Faith makes works possible. Verses 18 through 24. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. I'm stopping there for a moment. 
You imagine the argument that James is having here. You imagine where he's coming from on this. And he's saying to these believers, some of you say you have faith and you don't have to show works for it. Now this happens in the modern church today. This happens here at Maysville Baptist Church. You've seen it within your own lives, I would imagine, from time to time. And what we have to do is step back and realize what James is saying here. James doesn't say, look, what you're wrong in what you're saying. He never one time says that. He says, you show me. You put your money where your mouth is. You're telling me you have faith, but there's no works to support it. Show it to me. Now, the problem with that is, if there's no works to support the facts that you have faith, then there is no way for me to see your faith. Do you realize that? He says, you show me your faith. Without your works. And you know what I'll do? I'll turn around and I'll show you my faith by my works. By my works. Because the good that I've done in life is not because of me. It's because of the one who died for me. The good that I've been able to accomplish is not for any reason other than the furtherance of the kingdom. That's what James is saying right here. James is saying, I'm willing to put God first. In everything in my life. And myself second. And because of that, I want to work for Him. Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But some will say, you have faith. In verse 18, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Here we get to talking about that profession of faith I said earlier, right? I think that was the terminology I used. We profess Christ as our Savior, and we say Jesus Christ is the one true Son of God, and I believe that, and He is my Savior. The question I have, and it's a two-part question really, is there a way to have an encounter with something as powerful as Christ and not walk away from it affected? Let me, re, let me re-ask the question. Is it possible... Think about this. To have an encounter with a force as powerful as Jesus Christ. you got to think about how powerful Christ is. His death alone was enough to save the entire world from a multitude of sins. You need to realize that. So is it possible to have an encounter with a force that is that powerful and not walk away from it affected? People should be able to see it on you, right? I've used this illustration before. If I'm walking down the road and I get hit by a Mack truck, and then 10 years later, let's say that thing's just going full speed down Highway 82 Spur. Boom, hits me. I live. I don't know how, but I live. 10 years later, you run into me at a store, John. Do you think there's going to be evidence of that encounter with that truck on me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not going to be near as pretty as I am right now, am I? Probably walk with a limp. I imagine there will be some scars on my body somewhere. You're going to know by looking at me. Hey, man, he had an encounter with something. Something's changed this joker. Why don't we treat Christ with the same respect? Why don't we recognize that after we have an encounter with him, there's going to be a huge change? Instead, we just say, no, I know him. I know who he is. He's a believer. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God, yada, yada, yada. I prayed my prayer. I did this. Man, I'm saved. I'm going going to heaven. I got my fire insurance. I got my fire insurance. 
Listen to me, that ain't the way it works. At all. Jesus Christ is not a magic genie in a bottle that we like to think of him as. I've seen the movie Aladdin. I know what genies look like. They're big and blue, right? And when we want something, we take that bottle and we go, Genie, I need a wish. And he pops out and grants our wish. And honestly, that's how we treat God. In today's society, that's, how, that's, what, that's what we've minimalized God to. As we've said, okay, God, I'm not going to talk to you until my next crisis. And when that crisis hits, I'm going to rub my lamp and I need you to come out. And, and we treat the Bible as though it's a lamp, don't we? And it only gets used when we need it. Hey, remember that genie? You're only allowed three wishes before he goes back for millennia. So don't waste them all at once. We've got to make sure that we do this thing right. That's not the way that God works. Now, let me, let me tell you how God works. God works through relationship, and he desires to have one with you. Okay? And, and relationship's a two-way street. Can somebody tell me, if you were to sit into a counseling room, and you and your spouse were having problems, uh, what would that counselor probably tell you the key to a relationship is? Say it again. Communication. How can you have a relationship if you never communicate? Let me ask you something. I'm married. My wife's in, in a room down here right now with the college students. If I walk in this afternoon and I don't say a word to her and I take my jacket off and hang it up and I sit down and I eat the meal that she's prepared for me and I never tell her thank you and I never talk to her about it. And then I get up from there and, man, it's time for my nap and I go sit back at my lazy boy recliner and I, I don't say a word to her now. I never talk to her. And then I get out of that and I come back to church and I put on my happy face and I act like everything's all good. And then I get home tonight and I lay in bed next to her without ever speaking a word to her and go to sleep. And I do this every single day for the next 10 years. If you were to ask my wife if we had a relationship, what would her answer to you be? I don't know who you're talking about. He's a man that lives in the house with me. That's about it. There's no relationship. But yet we treat God with the same respect. Well, we don't talk to him. Uh, we don't. We don't read his word. We don't allow him to talk to us. You know, that's how God talks to you. I hope you know that. It, the main way he talks to you right here, through his word. He speaks. But we don't ever allow him to talk to us. We don't talk to him. We said a prayer at some point in time in our lives, and honestly, we treat it like they used to treat marriages 55,000 years ago and we say, look, I told him I loved him the day that we got married and if it ever changes, I'll let him know. Right? No, that ain't the way it works. I'm telling you right now, he gave his life for you. The least you could do is show a little bit of respect and love him in return. Now, here's another thing as well, is we think that that, that's a, that relationship's a one-way street. No, it's both ways. It's both ways. God has to be able to speak to us as well as us talking to him. Uh, I used this illustration earlier this morning. If I were to go to the White House door and knock on the White House door, let me in. I know who Donald Trump is. Would I be lying? Anybody. Would I be lying? If I knocked on the door of the White House and I said, I know who Donald Trump is, let me in, would I be telling a lie? No, not at all. I know exactly who he is. Man, I watched every debate. I got it right this time, David. I watched every debate on television. I made sure that I, that I paid attention to what was going on. I wanted to be an informed voter. And when he became the president of the United States, I knew who my president was. So I'm not lying if I say, let me in, I know Donald Trump. But what are they going to say to me if I say that? <laughs> Get out of here, crazy. 
Which they might not be wrong in that. I've got a little crazy streak in me. But nonetheless, they'd tell me, get out of here. Get off the lawn. You're crazy. You're, you're, you're dumb, whatever. Leave. Now, I'd probably been handcuffed by the Secret Service and done been tackled by 15 guys named Jim because it seems like all of them's names Jim on the TV shows I watch. And I'd, I'd just be scared to death. But if I was standing out on the other side of the gate of the White House, and Donald Trump came to the door and he went, I think that's Mark Thomas over there. Mark, is that you? And I said, yes, me, Don. Donnie, how you doing? That's what I call him. We're buddies, Donnie. But I said, hey, Donnie, it's me. And he said, bring him in here. I want him to come in. You know what would happen then? Might not have all access. I get to come into the White House. I get to experience everything. Everything would be just great. It's all because he knows me. All because he knows me. Not because I know him. I knew him to begin with. Listen to me. The book of Romans tells us that we know God. We know that he's the truth. Because it's instilled within us at birth. That's called general revelation. It's revelation through nature itself. We know that there's a God. We have no doubt about that. Special revelation, and I know I'm getting into deep theological terms here. Special revelation is when we're exposed to the truth that is Christ Jesus. We're all born with this general revelation. That's why none of us are, we're all held accountable for what we know, right? But when we find out this special revelation, we find out about this Jesus. Man, it's something that is life-changing and earth-shattering. And he desires to have that relationship with us. But our good works are made possible because of faith. The third and final thing we'll notice is works are evidence of our faith. Our works are evidence of our faith. Now, I've already stated that I do not believe that we're saved by works. I do not believe that at all. I think anybody that tells you that is preaching heresy to you. Um, Works cannot get you into heaven. There's nothing I can do. I do believe that I'm fallen man. I do believe that I'm totally deprived. I believe the Word of God points to that time and time again, and I believe my own life points to that. You don't want to believe the Word of God on it? Just look at me. You'll see a, you'll see a sinful joker, I promise you. I've fallen short every single day of my life on what God's called me to do. So it has to be by faith. It has to be. But I'm going to tell you, once that faith begins to take seed in your life, you have no choice but to allow it to produce works. You're going to start to display it. You're going to let people see. Oh, I'm going to put it to you this way. John, you and I don't have hair, neither does David. I don't know what's going on up here today. It's scary. Y'all better watch out, three bald men. If I were to have hair transplant done, which I'm not saying I'm going to, I don't have that kind of money. If I did... I still wouldn't. But anyway, let's say I had a hair transplant done. And man, I wore a baseball cap all the time after I had my transplant done. My hair looked fine. I just chose to wear a baseball cap. I wanted to have hair so I could cover it with a cap. Would you think I was crazy? I'm going to tell you, from a bald-headed man's perspective, yeah, you'd be nuts. There's no way. If I had a head full of hair, I'd grow it halfway down my back, and I'd shake it every chance I got. I guarantee you, I'd have it. Whoo! All you men with hair, y'all are lucky. And young boys, I see it long, keep it long, because you might lose it one day, I'm telling you. And when you do, it ain't no fun. But anyways, if I had a head full of hair and I kept a hat on it, I'd be crazy. 
And that's essentially what we've done with Christ. We accept Christ and we say, hey, that's great for me, but I don't want to share it with anybody else. You know, we take it back again generations ago. What we used to tell people is, man, as long as we don't talk about politics or religion, we'll be good. We can talk about whatever else you want to, but we stay away from politics and religion. I want to tell you right now, as a believer in Jesus Christ, the first thing you better be talking about is religion. The first thing you better be talking about is your faith in Jesus Christ. The first thing you better be talking about is the cure for man's greatest sickness, and that's sin. And that cure is found by way of a Roman cross, and I thank God that he was willing to do that for me. Knowing the punishment that he was going to pay, he still said, you know what? I love that old bald-headed joker enough that I'm going to die for him. Speaking of bald head, no, I'm joking. I'm going to stop there with baldness. If we're truly living our lives for Christ, then our works become evidence of what's inside of us. Look at Rahab. It's one of the illustrations that James uses. That's the one I'm going to use for time's sake. Look at Rahab. We know the story of Rahab. We know that the men came in to, to, to the city walls and she took them in and then she sent them out a certain way and then the guys came looking for them and she said, well, wait a second, I don't know what you're talking about. And she lied about it, right? Now, the Word of God does not say she was justified through her lie, but it does say she was justified through her faith. She was justified through her faith because her faith was evident, because her faith showed her this is what you need to do to save these guys' lives. So she sent them out a different way, and they were safe, and because of that, she was justified in her faith. Her faith was made known. Go back to my wife. If I tell my wife I love you every single day of the week, but I never show her, do I love her? You say, well, I can't afford roses every day of the week. Let me tell you something. I bought my wife flowers twice in our marriage. Two times. That's it. Young men, I want you to pay attention to this. If you never take her to a fancy restaurant, you never buy her flowers, and she never expects it. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, look, it's dating advice 101. David, am I wrong on this? If you buy her flowers and take her to a fancy restaurant, that's what she's going to expect all the time. But if you never do it, she never expects it. So when you do finally do it, it's like, whoo, he surprised me. I'm just telling you, that's, that's, golly, I'm getting in trouble in here. I know it, but I'm telling you, that's how I felt. So that's what I did. We always ate at Wendy's or McDonald's and went to go see the dollar movie over in Snellville. But anyway, if you never tell her or if you never show her that you love her, if you never do those special little things, and it is the little things, it is. And you can ask any woman in here, it's the little things that, that shows you that he loves you, isn't it? It's the little notes that he might leave for you. It might be a flower that he leaves for you. It might be whatever. You fill in the blank. Every guy's different. But there's little things that he does that just remind you daily, he loves me. You want to tell you what those little things are that God requires from us? Those little things that he desires for us to do is to share our faith with others. It's to show others who he truly is. It's to live our lives for him. It's to constantly remember what he did for you. Man, he sacrificed it all for us. He gave up everything so that you could have life and so that you could have life everlasting. So when we start thinking about that, it puts a whole new spin on it. You say, preacher, you're talking a lot about your wife and you're talking a lot about marriage, yeah, because I believe the word of God dictates that that's what we do. It says that he's the bridegroom, we're the bride. 
Guys, God loves us. Loves us greater than we can ever imagine. He's constantly sending us little reminders of that. Constantly. Sometimes we just need to open our eyes and pay attention to it. And allow Him to work through us. So I go back to the first question I asked. Can faith save you? Can faith save you? Can faith save you? Some of you today, you're banking on that. I'm just going to be honest. In a crowd this size, there's bound to be somebody in here who's banking your entire salvation off of a prayer that you prayed. You're banking it off of profession and faith that you made. Off of baptism. Off the fact that daddy was a deacon or a pastor. Off of being a good person. Off the works that you've been able to perform in life. You're banking your salvation off of everything other than Christ. And today it's time for you to get that right. Today you're much like I was at a young age where I finally gave my life to Christ. And I said, Jesus, it's time for me to follow you. Is that you today? If it is right where you're sitting, nobody, nobody looking around, every head bowed and every eye closed, here's what I want to ask you to do. If you'd be willing to confess and say, you know what, I don't know Jesus as Savior. It's time for me. Here's what I want to tell you to do. Talk to him about it. I mean, that sounds so simple, doesn't it? You say, well, preacher, it can't be that easy. Yeah, it can, and it is. Talk to him about it. You'd be amazed at what the response you'll get is. You say, well, preacher, I don't know how to talk to God. It's not that hard. You talk to him just like you would a friend. If you're lost today and you want to get saved, you might say something like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you sent Christ to die upon the cross for me. And I want you to know, God, I accept that as the payment for my sin. From this day forward, I want to live for you. Lord, I'm asking you to please save me. Thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for sending Jesus for me. It's in your son's name. If that's you, with no one else looking around... Believer, I ask that you be praying right now. But if that's you, I'm going to ask you to do one simple thing for me. Would you be willing to slip your hand up just so that I can see it for a moment? You might say, I'm scared. And don't be. Be courageous in this. If that's you and today you'd say, you know what, I've given my life to Christ this morning. It's time for me. If that's you, I would invite you for just a moment to slip your hand up and put it back down. As I scan the audience, don't be ashamed. Don't be scared. Is that you? All right, in just a moment, we're going to open this altar up for a time of prayer, a time of invitation. If God is speaking to you, maybe you've been living your life wrong this entire time. Your walk with Christ doesn't look like it should. Maybe you're looking for a church home and you know that this is where God's called you to. Whatever the situation may be, the Holy Spirit's tugging at your heart, and you know it right now. I invite you in just a moment to please come forward and respond. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this time. Father, I thank you for your written word that you've left for us. And Lord, I pray that it does not fall on deaf ears. Father, that we would follow you in everything that we do. Lord, as we move into this time of invitation, I pray that you would speak to each one of us personally, Father, corporately. 
Lord, I pray that we would respond. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask you all to stand for just a moment. And maybe you have